The mortgage industry never stays still. With interest rates moving, companies changing, and regulation increasing, there's always another story. This is The Principle, where we break it down daily and take a deeper dive into the issues. I'm Christine Stewart, Editorial Director for the Mortgage News Network. Let's pay it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. Mortgage Women Magazine. It's where women's voices are heard. Find it free at www.mortgagewomenmagazine.com. We're seeing signs mortgage fraud is picking up, and you may not see it in your pipeline just yet, but that doesn't mean you can let your guard down. Welcome to The Principal. I'm Mike Savino, head of multimedia for the Mortgage News Network. Today, I'm joined by Kip Mendrigal. He's a partner at Locklord LLP, and he explains how to protect against fraud in NMP's newest magazine, Lone Star LO. Uh, Kip, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I guess just to start things off, you know, we've seen some some numbers uh, warning us that that mortgage fraud is on the rise. Um, I guess just looking more broadly, is is that what you're seeing? Is that something uh, we in the mortgage space should be worried about? So I'm not seeing it yet, but but by the time I see it, it's often months, if not a year or more after it occurs, because you know, I know we'll get a chance to talk about this a little bit, but I think it is on the rise. I just think it hasn't necessarily hit the point where you have federal investigators showing up and in interviewing people, asking questions, because that thing t- tends to take a little bit of time. And so I, I do think that it's only a matter of time until we're going to see a big uptick in some of the more public uh, types of investigations that we saw back several years ago. And I think that's a good point. You know, this is, you know, as with a lot of data, it takes time to to trickle its way through. What are some, some things that you can be on the lookout for? Obviously, you know, you might see cases that jump out at you that you catch yourself, but you know, what, if I'm in this space, what can I look for to make sure that I'm aware of what's going on in real time and not waiting for data, not waiting for, as you talked about the, the feds to come knocking on your door? I think it's tough. I think it's tough. And one of the things that clients are always asking is, how do I in real time get better about detecting this? How do I know before it gets to be a situation where somebody with a badge and a gun knocks on my door and starts asking questions? And what we always talk about is, look, it's never perfect. But one of the things that I always try to get clients to take a close look at are data analytics. And I always get to come in after the fact, after something has occurred, we're in the process of investigating it, sometimes cleaning it up. And it's really easy to play Monday morning quarterback to say, well, geez, if you would have just paid attention to this piece of data, if you just would have paid attention to this loan officer who had this tremendously inexplicable increase in volume over this short period of time, if you'd have just asked the question then instead of now, then you could have detected this. But that's really tough to do in real time when all of this data is being thrown at you, you're trying to pay attention to what's happening in the company. And it's not always obvious as it is with the benefit of of coming in after the fact. But taking a look at some of the data, the trends, uh, is there somebody who was a mid-level performer that in a matter of 90 days went from being a mid-level performer to a superstar? And how did that happen? Is there a good explanation for it? Was there a change in how, in, in what type of, of transaction somebody was doing? Hey, they were focused in this neighborhood and then all of a sudden over 60 days completely shut that area of their expertise down and now jumped into uh, multi-unit housing. Those are the sorts of things 
that we're always trying to get clients to try to take a look at and try to detect those things and at least ask the questions before that person does knock on the door. Yeah, because even if those answers are good answers, those are answers that you can sort of share with the rest of your team. Hey, look what this person's doing. And all of a sudden it's paying off. Why wouldn't you want to know if it's a good answer and somebody has figured out the uh, the code to how to increase their business by 40% over the course of 60 days, figure that out, talk to that person and then apply it across the organization. I agree completely. There, there's obviously plenty of opportunities for fraud, some of it from people who, who want to borrow money, money uh, under false pretenses. And of course, in this industry, people who want to access the, the money uh, that they're lending out. Where is there one side or the other of this line that that right now is a bigger concern? For, for me, there is always, always for me, the bigger concern is insider fraud, fraud being perpetrated from inside the castle walls, from inside the lenders themselves, because that is some of the most dangerous, treacherous and nefarious fraud that we see because it tends to involve somebody who's an insider, who's able to use their insider knowledge, their knowledge of the company. And I've seen some really, really scary things about how far a fraud can go when an insider with access to uh, insider terminology, with access to knowing which underwriters are good and bad, or even what underwriters are about to go on vacation and so are not paying as much attention today as they would two weeks from now. All these sorts of things that they can use to pull the levers inside the company to make these frauds go and go undetected for a long time. So for me, there's always going to be more borrower fraud. But frankly, that's the thing that it, the, the borrower fraud pound for pound tends to be far less sophisticated tends to get detected, caught, dealt with pretty easily by the company's internal compliance personnel. It's really the insider fraud that, although less prevalent, statistically speaking, is way more serious and way more nasty. Way more serious in the sense that they're able to get away with more or sort of what do you mean by that? Way more serious in terms of it can go on for a long time, which means the number of transactions, because what we don't tend to see is insider fraud that occurs on one transaction. What we see is people dip their toes in the pool and then realize, boy, this is pretty easy to get away with because I know how the, the playing field is set up. I know where to go. I know what to say. I know what the documents need to look like, which means that there's a lot of transactions that can stack up really quickly, which means that the exposure to financial loss gets really, really big, really, really fast when you're looking at insider fraud. And and we've seen a, a dramatic shift uh, where the housing market is just kind of in the mortgage industry is now kind of getting its feet reset after uh, really kind of coming to a halt in the middle of an end of 2022. Is it easier, particularly when you're talking about insiders, is it easier to sort of slip under the radar when business is booming? Or do you see perhaps it's easier to exploit weaknesses when everyone's desperate for business? I think it's both. And, and nerds like me who study this type of fraud, financial fraud in general, which is which is what I do for my living, is, you know, to kind of look at this and look at two types of crimes. They look at crimes of opportunity and crimes of desperation. And when things are booming and there's lots of circulation in the housing market, lots of houses being bought and sold, plenty to go around. What we see on the uptick is more crimes of opportunity, just because the more transactions that exist, the more opportunities that exist, people identify those opportunities and they exploit them. 
when things start to happen and the market gets slow and all of a sudden you've got more people fighting over the same dwindling number of deals, then what we like to say is that crimes of desperation start to tick up. And we see those crimes of desperation both for insiders, and I'm talking loan officers who all of a sudden had adjusted their lifestyle to when things were great and all of a sudden things are not great and the bills steep keep coming in, the 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 lake house payment, the boat payment, all those things that they took out when times were great, all of a sudden start to get more painful when times get thin. And same thing on the borrower side too, is when you have the the number of of transactions that are out there decrease rapidly, then borrowers are more desperate to get in a house or to stay in their house, especially as you have interest rates rising, house prices rising. And so we just kind of see the types of, of fraud shift when there's lots of transactions to when there's far fewer. With with all the automation uh, that we're seeing put in place now, including all the way through underwriting everything, you you would you know you might feel safe that hey that's going to cut down on fraud because I'm saying these this is how a loan gets done and if it doesn't fit these parameters, including protecting against fraud, it doesn't get through. But is that the case? Is is technology cutting down or is it creating opportunities for new types of fraud? I I think both. I think both. And you're absolutely right that having things that are automated ensures more consistency and applying underwriting standards. That's all good things. But it's also made it so impersonal that these transactions tend to occur. And for some clients, they occur without you ever laying eyes on the person on the other end of this potentially half million, million dollar transaction, which is I still think, I still think that the number one fraud detection Uh, mechanism out there is the ability to sit across proverbially or literally across video like you and I are doing used to be across the table and be able to try to figure out who is this that I'm dealing dealing with? Are they who they say they are? Are they on the up and up? Are they telling me the truth about these things? You just be amazed at the abilities of people who are in compliance or underwriting to be able to sit across and say something's not right about this. That's so hard to do when there's never any personal interaction whatsoever. Maybe you look at a picture of them, maybe. Maybe you have a 60-second video call, maybe. But in a lot of cases, even that's going away. So I think it cuts both ways. And so that sounds like it's creating opportunities specifically for borrowers, more more, uh, impersonal interactions, more opportunities to maybe try to apply for multiple loans without anyone ever seeing you. It's creating opportunities for those kinds of fraud. It, it sure is. It's it's creating opportunities for for everything from just traditional borrower fraud. I'm lying about my income. I'm lying about my assets. Trying to get in this house to occupancy fraud. I'm the person who's going to live in this house. It's going to be my primary residence. Well, actually, no. I'm a front for somebody from another country who's looking to invest money in the US real estate and nobody intends to occupy this house or whoever it is that intends to occupy it's not the borrower to uh, everywhere in between. And so there's plenty of borrower fraud opportunities that come along with some of the impersonal automated uh, non-face-to-face things that we've begun to adopt. So are there things you can look for to protect yourself or is that just, if you're gonna go that automated, that's a risk you're taking? I think in some ways that's a risk you're taking. And, and again, some of the things that 
this is, this is not new, but some of the things that all the lenders are and should be looking for are where is the money coming from? Is the money uh, be is the money seasoned in the account for an extended period of time, or did it just show up in a big glob for somebody that can't explain where it came from or why it came? Uh, are there evidence that assets are owned overseas, particularly in certain countries that may not be a, a sanctioned country or prohibited country list, but certain countries where there may be uh, people looking to come and invest in the U.S. real estate market? And so th there really are uh, some things to look for and to try to verify, obviously, always verifying employment, deposits, income, those sorts of things are are critical and if you don't get a straight answer or if you cannot reach uh, the, the person to be able to verify those things, those are always things to keep an eye out for as well. Yeah, because as you said, you can be desperate and, and try to let things slide. But I would imagine if you're not doing your due diligence, you can't just throw your hands up and say, I was defrauded when the when the feds come knocking and you you open yourself up to possibly being scrutinized, too. Well, and not just doing due diligence, but but modernizing your due diligence too. Because when I first started doing this, now going on scary close to 20 years ago, the documents that were fake on a traditional borrower fraud situation, a borrower would come in and say, here's my Bank of America account where things are not spelled correctly, where things are clearly have been put on a copier on top of some other type of statement. And uh, same thing with you know, verifying employment there would be a cell phone number of their friend Dave who would call and wait and clearly had just gotten out of bed at noon and was trying to answer questions about employment. Things have gotten so much better. And in an era now where there are criminal rings out there, but even your average high schooler could create a convincing looking website, could have a business address that is uh, you know, in some sort of a strip mall somewhere and have a physical presence that would Fool a reasonable person into saying this is a real company and having numbers to be able to be forwarded from a number to somebody's cell phone. I mean, those are all things now that have gotten a lot better over time. Scary, frankly, to, to think that you can't simply just uh, go through the standard checklist that you could even 10 or 15 years ago. You now almost have to question everything. And so it sounds like you kind of need to have constant ongoing training with your staffs and with your teams. I mean, we all get stuck watching those bad training videos periodically when we feel like, Oh, I could be, I could be being productive right now. And you're, but, but if things are constantly evolving and also you want to reiterate to your team, we're watching you. I, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is you need to have constant training, constant training, but also I think training in, in 2023 includes, it has to include paying attention to the breaking stories. Department of Justice is great. The FBI is great about publishing press releases when they indict cases. And I think that being able to read or being required to read about those things, what are they being accused of? How did they do it? Really, it allows you to keep on the cutting edge of how these frauds are evolving, because those are those are recent cases. That may be a case that was indicted last week that occurred six months ago. That's going to be far more valuable than whatever training video was created in 2015 about how to do underwriting for these loans. And that's where I think that people paying attention to these press releases, which are out there for a reason. The Department of Justice wants the community to know this is information. Here's what we're alleging occurred. Here is uh, as much detail about the fraud as we're comfortable releasing right now. And as the case evolves, we may release more detail. That's really valuable to help keep you 
on the forefront of what's happening out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, certainly I'm sure there are people who like to make a headline when they make a bust, but there is also to our whole criminal justice system, the whole point of diversion and, and convincing other people not to do what somebody did that just got them arrested. Is there anything else you want to add or anything you feel like we didn't go over while I have you? You, you know, something, this is almost fodder for a different conversation, but I was on a panel two months ago with some senior people at DOJ. And it was because they wanted to promote the release of some new guidance about compliance programs. And when I get asked to talk to mortgage people, a lot of times it's to the compliance people who always want to talk about uh, what's out there, what's new, what's cutting edge, but also how do we try to convince the company that there is value to these compliance programs? Because these poor people, Mike, I'm telling you, they are a cost center for a business that is looking to make money. And so when it comes to having a seat at the table about compliance, it's often begrudgingly so that these compliance people show up because the management looks at them and says, you make me no money, you cost me money, you're the fun police because you kill all the great ideas that I've got. And tell me again why it is that I employ you. And so one of the things that whenever the compliance people get together, and this is what I did in the summer at the MBA conference was I said, DOJ is releasing this guidance that took however important compliance programs used to be and just made them about five times more important because it is now being featured as something that if you are a company and you get in criminal trouble, which depending on the seniority of your insiders who are involved, the feds might be looking at the company itself as a potential criminal target. And if you get indicted as a company, you might as well just say goodnight because you're never going to come back from it. But one of the things that the feds are now saying is that if I become convinced, if I, the FBI and the government become convinced that your compliance program is effective and that you put the right amount of resources and effort into detecting fraud, I can use that factor alone to say, I could indict you, I should indict you, but I won't. And it's becoming now this lifeline that as long as you're doing the right thing, and that involves burning calories, both in terms of money, but also in terms of some sweat equity, by having these people out there actively trying to detect and prevent fraud can be a lifesaver in a literal and proverbial sense if the company were to ever get in trouble because of some sort of insider fraud. And I've used it. I've used it and I've had it. And I've been able to use it to convince the feds to let a company go. They were trying to do the right thing. They got beat here by somebody who was more treacherous than, than they could have possibly imagined. And so that's really sort of a discussion for a separate topic. But I was just looking at the last question that, that Keith and I were kicking around and thinking, we really didn't talk about any of that. But frankly, that may be more than what you want to cover. In, in we, we sort of covered a lot of other territory already. No, I think I think you're right that it's uh, a topic for another day. But, you know, I'll, we'll include it in the podcast that we're going to put out just at least as a coda, because it's certainly important that you, you know, one thing you should be doing is, of course, supporting your compliance department and, and sending a message to the staff that this is someone to be taken care of. And now the feds are saying that, too, that basically willful ignorance is is in some cases uh, almost as bad as the offense itself, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, but you, your obligation is to find the evil. You can't just turn a blind eye and be like, Oh, we didn't know, but we did profit when they were 
bringing in all these loans. Well, and, and and when you look at that, some of these cases that are out there, and I've got a stack of them that I was talking to the folks at the NBA about, where there are senior level executives. And the great part about a financial institution is that everybody has a title that ends in president. <laughs> Everyone either is associate vice president, assistant vice president, vice president, senior vice president, executive vice president. And so you get these people that functionally within the, in the organization are not the executive team, but they have executive sounding titles. Which means all of a sudden now DOJ starts to look at this and says, geez, your vice president was in charge or was involved in this particular fraud. That's a high-ranking official for our purposes. Do we need to look at the company? Do we need to do something to the company in addition to this person? Because look, I'm putting Dave in jail. There's no question about that. My question is, do I need to put a bullet in the company as well? And that's where the conversation starts to get scary. And that's where when I can talk to those executives about their compliance program, I say, look, I know you think it's never going to happen to you. All my clients say that. All my clients say it's never going to happen to me. But when it does, and good companies end up in bad situations, all the money in the world isn't going to mean a lick of difference. What you need at that point is to be able to give me something like your compliance program and say, look at all the effort we put toward trying to detect this. It didn't work. But we're a salvageable company. We can be saved. You don't need to to make us pay the ultimate price. And so that that really is something that is trending based upon some guidance the DOJ released just a couple months ago, which is however important it was before, it's now important now. It's more important now. And uh, I think that's something out there for the people. And again, maybe your audience is not necessarily on the compliance side as much on the sales side, but for the compliance people- Yeah, it shows that they can't just roll their eyes the next time compliance has a training session. You do need to- understand their role in the company and that their role is to keep you out of this trouble. For sure. And the say, and I get it. You have to go through these things. I have to go through these things and it's painful. It's painful to sit there and say, I got to do six. It's already January. I got to do that 60 minute thing again. Uh, it, it's painful, but for, for an entity like that, boy, and I've seen it before too, where the sales guy or saleswoman, whoever it is, that's in trouble, uh, Turns out that I think I've figured everything out. Maybe they're salvageable. And then it turns out that, oh, DOJ tells me, by the way, did you know that they had their secretary take their compliance training? Oh, no. (laughs) No, I I didn't know that. And there's that sort of stuff that happens, right? Because they don't take it seriously. And they're like, I don't have time for this. That's an hour of my life wasted, this compliance training. And so I'm going to ask my assistant to take it for me and just sign in and sit sit through the webinar. And I mean, we see that sort of stuff all the time. And boy, there's no worse fact than when you're asking for leniency from the government and then something like that comes across the table. It's bad. Yeah. Never want to be in that seat. Kim, thanks so much. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Mike, thanks. Yeah. And you can read more of Mandrigal's advice in Lone Star LO, NMP's newest magazine focused entirely on Texas. It launches today, and you can check it out at LoneStarLO.com. You'll also see a profile on the creators of Next Level LO, who talk about how they strike a work-life balance. It's one of three NMP magazines dedicated to the country's hottest markets. Florida Originator will come out next month, and California Broker launches in April. You can sign up for all three at nationalmortgageprofessional.com slash subscribe. We'll be right back with the rest of your headlines. The Originator Connect Network 
the nation's largest producer of mortgage events, is about fostering a community founded on professionalism, collaboration, and personal and professional growth, connecting you to the story of your success. Welcome back. Here's your headlines for today, February 2nd. As you probably know by now, the Fed Wednesday raised the federal funds rate by another quarter point. So what does that mean for the mortgage industry? The MBA says lenders already built this expectation into their rates, and in some places, mortgage rates actually slid a bit. But Realtor.com says that the Fed's increase still trickles into mortgage rates, setting a floor on how far they'll come down. Meanwhile, the NAHB doesn't think we'll get a soft landing. In fact, the Home Builders Association says we're already in a housing recession and that will eventually pull the overall economy into one too. But the NAHB says that the recession will be mild and will rebound with a recovery later this year. This has been The Principle, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All podcasts are produced by T.G. Kutamperor, Matthew Mullins, and Sarah Woolock. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. The opening theme was Status by Jamie Bathgate, and the music you hear now is Glossy by Skygates. You can find episodes of The Principal at www.mortgagenewsnetwork.com, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review so that others can find us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>